0: we are living in extraordinary times, global pandemics, race riots, and a new world order. The Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast will face these issues head-on, so strap yourselves in for this episode.
1: From the dojo to the octagon, we bring you the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast!
0: Folks, it's been a long time, but we are back at the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. With us is our esteemed co-host, Shihan Russ St. Hilaire, 7th Degree Black Belt in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. How you doing, Shihan?
1: I am doing fantastic, regardless of the state of the world right now. But I am doing great, and I'm super happy we're back doing a new podcast we haven't done it in a while Um, you know we've been really focused on class and and there's been black belt tests and promotions and all kinds of great stuff and then of course we had the pandemic come and uh, that kind of squashed things around the jujitsu world for a long time but we're slowly getting back to it so I think it's a great time to get excited again and start talking about the martial art that we love and and how it impacts our lives so glad to be back with you three
0: Awesome. Me too. And uh, I guess we could say we're survivors. So, right?
1: So far? So far. Knock <laughs> <Back> on wood. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't exactly how we thought it was going to be. And I like the movies. But uh, yeah, glad to say that everybody is, is healthy and happy as far as I know within our Kobukai community. So that's that's great. And I hope with our listeners too.
0: I feel like, you know, the, the sayings go that art imitates life or life imitates art. And if you think of pandemic and apocalypse movies as art, um, which not m- many people do. <laughs> uh, it's it's really interesting how movies and books think these things play out, and how reality really shaped it. And, and, and oh yeah, I,
1: right. Nobody <laughs> nobody would watch the reality movie because it's like insane boredom, <laughs> with like you know a few little uh, interesting points. Whereas the movies are always like these super action packed, you know, driving your truck through barricades and trying to find food. I, I guarantee you. Over decades, I have watched pretty much every, like, apocalyptic kind of movie that there's ever been made, and I can definitively say none of them included, like, a mission to get toilet paper. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) totally not what we thought.
0: Yeah, who would have known there would be a run on toilet paper with uh, (laughs) the apocalypse down the road? Right. so so in terms of the uh those the the movies that we see a lot of it's are a, a race to find the cure and that that's one aspect i feel is still i guess uh accurate or or yeah. where it is it's still kind of happening the way um the movies depicted it not exactly but a cure or a, or a vaccine is very um you know, very much on top of mind for for the government and for for the general public Sure they
1: always include that in the movies you know because besides you know, all the challenges that they're having in the movies, there's that going, you know, in the background and and somehow magically they always do find it. And, And I think in real life we will too. I mean, I think we understand the science behind it and stuff. It's just a new version of something that we, you know, we already know and it takes a decent amount of time to, you know, do the science and get it right and make it safe and and, and all all of that, I, you know, the hard part is in the meantime, we have to deal with what we have to deal with. And of course, there's the you know, loss of human life, which which is a tragedy. But that's also, uh, I think, something that's happened throughout history. There's been plenty of plagues and pandemics that have come and gone, run their course. We've found, you know, ways to cure them or at least ways to, to treat them. And, and I'm sure we'll do the same thing with this it just won't be as you know sensationalized as as it is in the movies you know um it'll it'll be what normal real life does it'll be a lot of hard work a lot of people dedicating time there'll be sacrifice and experimentation and, and eventually we'll we'll find something um but i think you know i think some people forget especially when it comes to viruses i don't think we've ever eradicated many you know there's been a few here and there um but I think we've found ways to to minimize them. You know, I think I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, when you're getting your yearly flu shot before COVID, you know, you're still getting a flu shot for for flus that were from decades and decades ago. Right. That uh, just, you know. We lived through and we made it through, but it never completely went away out of the human population. So, you know, we still have we still have um, a somewhat effective course of treatment that works better for some people and then than for others. But in general, it it keeps it low. But then a new one shows up, and and you got to go through the whole process again. So it's a challenge we face right now.
0: Yeah, and I'm wondering if uh, COVID-19 or the corona type viruses that are out there. It'd be interesting to see if the the vaccines that do come out will protect our population against future mutations of this. Because once it's out, you know, it's a virus. They think these things mutate like crazy. I think so. Th- that's that's another one. It may diminish the fe- effects uh, or the
1: impact that a future variants might have. So we can only hope. True, you know, and and people can read about the science you know, obviously this is not the virus master podcast. This is the jujitsu master (laughs) podcast. Uh, I don't have a medical degree and, and, and don't, you know, don't know, but we have more information today than we've ever had in the past. And, you know, sticking with, you know, strict scientific, you know, uh, information that is, is easy to understand is something that you can depend on is really where, where you want to go, right? CDC information or other virologists that have been talking. I mean, they, they, they know what's going on. And just like we do in, in jujitsu classes, this is one of these things that is always something in my life that I look for, whether it's work or or life or things happening in the world, is typically the sensationalized story is not it's not the truth. It's usually the the more the more boring thing. It's not always what you want it to be, but it's always what it is. And you know, I I talk about this in lots of other podcasts where martial arts schools always kind of teach from a standpoint of you know you're the guy with the martial art knowledge and the other person's just a street thug and because i've taught you these techniques now somehow you're superman and you can beat everybody including the 300 pound stevedore you know uh dock worker and, and, you know, you know, in Kobukai jujitsu, we're always like, that's not real. You know, the best technique you can do right there is like run um, because we want to stay real and we want people to be safe and, and to not think that what we teach them is magic, but it's something that just gives them a better chance than they had before. And I think that's the approach you have to take with what's going on with, with COVID right now. Uh, it's, it's not going to be something flashy. It's not the triple double, secret back-flipping kick that's going to break the board, right? You know, it's going to be one million straight punches that is eventually going to get you where you need to be. So, um, you know, people just need to focus in on what the reality of this is, follow the science, do the super, super simple things that they're asking us to do while they're trying to find something to treat this. and, And I think... Eventually, they will. And everybody should hope they will, because if if they don't, this will be around for a long time. You know, we'll figure out how to live with it, you know, as far as social interactions and business and all that kind of stuff. But it will continue to take lives. And, you know, I think that's something that we want to, you know, we want to work on on minimizing. And every time we face something like this over time, we learn even more. So whatever process they're going to go through now, they're going to they're going to find out more about viruses than they ever knew before. And that will help us sort of in the next round because there will be a next round. There always will be. I mean, we're we're human creatures living on this planet with other creatures and viruses exist and they can jump between species from time to time. And and we have to deal, you know, we have to deal with that. So just my that's just my you know sort of viewpoint on how to approach it, approach it with realism. I think any sensible person would would agree with you
0: that there there is a um, a lot of misinformation out there and conflicting information out there. And I think the last movie that was it, pandemic was it called pandemic? Um, I forgot the name of the movie, but uh, which uh, it, it did have a, an aspect of someone who was a, a, a popular um, personality either on the radio or TV that was pushing. Oh, a cons- certain- Contagion.
1: Contagion. Yes. Thank Contagion. You. Yes. Yeah, that was right. a great movie, by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah, but what the one aspect that I, I I thought was kind of poignant here is that uh, there was this individual that was. Um, pushing a certain potential cure and it had something to do with the roots of the forsythia plan if that were the case i'm sitting on a gold mine right here in my house but <laughs> that, that's not that's nothing to do with covid nor did it have anything to do with any any uh, uh meaningful effect on the uh, on the on the pandemic and, and contagion but it was a finally was was kind of called out but unfortunately in in our case that's that's not always the case um and there's a lot of misinformation out there so how do we kind of filter that from what's really happening
1: you know i think there's a human need especially when there's something that's dangerous to yourself and to your family and your loved ones and disrupts your social life and disrupts your your society and work and like everybody wants to help and find something that's going to help some way but the the reality of it is is most of us are not equipped or educated to to do that and that's a, that's just a tough feeling to deal with it if it, you, you feel powerless like there's just nothing i can do you know are you are you kidding me you're just telling me you want me to sit at home for months and hope this goes away like i, I want to do something um and i think that makes people jump to conclusions about various things that they hear on tv or on the internet or and even if they're not fake even if they're the most well placed like we think this might work right there was the uh The hydrochloroquine that, you know, they thought maybe they had had some results and some patients and like good science, you know, they continue to do it and they continue to try to prove that it doesn't work, you know, uh, because that's a, a great way to approach science. And then, you know, they found out, well, maybe maybe we were wrong and that wasn't really is effective or or effective at all and and we move on but you know people jump on things like that very quickly because there's just it's it's a hope it's hope for them you know how i'm going i'm going to be able to save my my family or my loved ones and you know, I can't blame anybody for that. It's just a, it's it's human nature. Now, some people will take advantage of situations like that and obviously try to make money and do other things. I mean, that's human nature too. That's fine. You know, we just have to understand that. Um, but there's nothing wrong with having hope and trying many things. The only problem is when we take those things and all of them may have a chance, but somehow use them to discredit um, valid science and And that that's where things get really dangerous. You want to help, and people are fully willing to give ideas and jump in there, but you can't do it and and discredit science right People have spent their whole lives in virology or or you know communicable diseases or any of those things um, You can't discredit them people have their skill sets right you could be in a in a plumbers union and have been a plumber your entire life and are probably an expert at it after 20 30 40 years and you would also expect other people to say oh Dude's been doing plumbing for 40 years. He's probably an expert at it. So at the same time, you don't want to turn around to someone who also has an expertise in something else, something that you don't have in, and, and try to discredit them because it doesn't fit into either your agenda or something that makes you comfortable or gives you an answer as fast as you want. Yet you have to trust that human beings have the ability and capacity to experiment, to be trained by others and generations before them to work hard and do repetitive tasks so that they become expert at something and then that they can use that expertise when, when something demands them to use that expertise. So, you know, you, you got to depend on, on some of that science. And science doesn't discredit anything else. The only thing science will ever discredit is itself, right? It'll come up with a hypothesis. It will work on proving that hypothesis. And if the data begins to show that that hypothesis is incorrect, then they'll pull away from that and look at the data and move on to new things. But it won't look at something else and just say, you know, you're stupid or that's a horrible idea, or at least they shouldn't, right? They need to focus on what they're experts in. We all need to focus on what we're experts in. You know, and in in this pandemic, I I very much uh, joked with my wife about this because, I'm a martial artist, I'm a prior military person, I'm kind of always prepared, you know, all those things they told you you needed to have when this came out, I already had. I was ready in case there was going to be mayhem and, and riots and uh, people, you know, coming to your house and stealing food and all of that kind of stuff. And none of that was real. None of that happened. You know, what was really what was really needed and what my wife ended up actually being the hero about, And she was the ultimate forager. If there was anything missing, she could get it. She could find it. She could order it. She could buy it. She took inventories of everything we had every week and always knew what was needed. And in my head, I'm like, that's not like the movies. That's not cool. Where's the where's the uh, ballistically, you know, protected <laughs> vehicle with the guys with the Mohawk hairdos and we're going to go shoot it up? You know, like, I mean, I'm I'm kind of being facetious. I'm not really that kind of person. But, um, you know, the reality of it was there are a lot of skills out there that were really, really needed. There was medical personnel that was there was a the people in your family that knew how to get what you needed to get, um, you know, there were still all the things you needed to do. Schools suddenly had to figure out how to teach your children. Uh, you still might need an electrician, and they had to figure out how to mask up and glove up and get to your house and do their work. And, you know, so the reality of it was all of those skilled people that were out there were still really needed. We we just needed to figure out how to work within that construct. And it wasn't an apocalypse. It, it was what it still actually is, is something that's very dangerous to us and we have to learn how to live within the construct of it so that's why i want people to understand that you know all of those skills that everyday people have are important and should not be discredited but looked at with you know a lot of, uh, of appreciation and that also the work that the scientists are doing should also be looked at the same because that's what's going to get us through and that's what we'll eventually hopefully find the answer
0: so i had a couple of follow-up questions on uh, sure on on that uh, around the science behind it, sure, I mean, even these days, it's really hard not to politicize everything that goes on. Um, and although the the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are um, really try to be apolitical about things um, and, and offer the protocols, there are other, you know, there are many, many other uh, groups, universities, scientific institutions that are out there. And uh, often what you, you unfortunately you see is that uh, depending on who's actually sponsoring the research, um, it's almost like it works backward uh, from how science should be working, where the theory of the hypothesis is put in front and say, OK, got to just prove this or prove this. I mean, uh, the, the best example I could think of, unfortunately, is is uh, with global warming. You know, you've, you've got people that are um, against it and for it. What does the science say? This isn't a global warming podcast either, um, but But I get your point.
1: Yeah, I definitely get your point. And and the the politicization of things like that are are probably wrongly placed energy, in my opinion. So politics obviously exists. And, you know, politics is based off of division. It's us and them how we think versus how they think what we think is right versus what someone else thinks is right and that's what makes political parties and it's also what makes war but um there are truths that exist regardless of what people think and and those are the ones you have to wrap your head around right they they're not going to change no matter what political party you're in, no matter what religion you have. Uh, you know, They're absolutely not going to change if you use the word believe like I believe something because that's really just not worth your energy. Things are or aren't in the physical world. I'm not, I'm not going to go down the spiritual world path, but in the physical world. And it's too bad that people have to do that, that somehow they need to feel that they need to identify themselves by a group of people that is polar to another group of people when the thing that they're talking about is common across the planet at the same time, and you know, I kind of joke and say, you know, I don't care if you believe in COVID or don't because it really believes in you. And it's, and it's really dependent on you and, sure. and, is, and is very happy that we're all alive because we're just awesome hosts <laughs> for it to reproduce and, and to continue to grow and spread. So um, we, we need to back away in a, in a pandemic kind of situation from uh, any sort of politicizing of the actual facts of what is. I don't like that it is what it is. I, you know, I got, I have young adult children, who their life in their in their late 20s is this. Yeah. It's not, it's not the experience I had, um, and I wish it wasn't so, but it just, it just is so. And there are hundreds of thousands of people that have died from this, and that is just a fact. And it did not care if you were Democrat or Republican or Hindu or Christian or anything else. Because it just is what it is, and it exists, and it will do what it does. So we waste time, and we waste energy, and we waste resources when we try to use it as something to divide us. It would be the same thing as if an alien, uh, you know, showed up, and you know, you somehow decided you were going to identify yourself with the people. That accepted aliens, and then there's a whole group of people that say they're coming here to kill us, right? So immediately we take some kind of situation where we form a belief, this uh, you know, a belief system or join a belief system, and then that I, that defines us for some reason. When the reality of it is like zero of that matters at all because it just simply is what it is. So I would very much like people of any political um, system. You know, if you want to, if you're a conservative or if you're a liberal or any of those things, none of those things have to change. You don't have to be different in any way to deal with this because it's just not a political thing. What you need to do is understand the very, very basics of the science, understand that it's dangerous and it could potentially kill anyone, including you or a member of your family or someone you work with. And there are some incredibly simple things that we're asking to be done to kind of hold it off long enough for us to maybe find a vaccine or something that can really minimize its impact. That's all we're asking people to do. You know, I I get very riled up when, you know, somebody says, you can't tell me I have to wear a mask. I'm like, okay. But I remember a time, because I'm not a youngster, when you didn't have to wear a seatbelt in your car. And the statistics just over and over kept showing that when you get in a car accident and you're not wearing a seatbelt, you're probably going to die or be seriously injured. And that, too, had a huge amount of resistance, and it was politicized. But now we kind of look back on it, and I would say that, in general, a huge part of the population, no matter what party or belief system they belong to, will just go, yeah, kind of probably makes sense that we wear a seatbelt because – You know, I understand physics and like if my car comes to a sudden stop and I'm not really attached to it and I'm going to go flying and like it just takes a while to accept. And it'll probably be the same thing with this when it's not new anymore, when it's down the road, when somebody has somebody in their family that gets very sick and hopefully survives, they may just, you know, wear a mask because I don't want to spread this to my grandparents, you know, And, and, and it starts to not become. Uh, a, a thing about your personal rights or your political views, and it just becomes sort of a, a way of life. And I think that will happen. It's happened for many, many, many things. But when something's new, and it's you don't want to do it, and maybe it's uncomfortable or whatever, there's just a ton of resistance. And then you have to find a reason why you're resisting, right? You can't just be like, I don't want to. You know, you have to find a reason, and, and you know, maybe a political view is a reason, or or some other view is a reason. But the reality of it is. Kind of way back in the back of your head, everybody knows that it kind of just makes sense, and we probably should do something like that without making it feel or without thinking like somehow your your rights are are being taken away. Um, You know, the rights that you have uh, give you all kinds of of freedoms to live your life as you want and however you want. But then there's also basic common senses that we just do on a daily basis because we know it makes some sense, right? You don't let the tires on your car be under inflated. Um, you know, you change the filter in your air conditioner in your house because you don't want to be breathing bad air. Uh, you know, people get a water filter on their faucet because they want to make sure there's no chemicals. In. I mean, it's just basic stuff to take care of you and your family. And that's how a lot of this should be viewed. Um, not Not politicized, just common sense stuff.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Unfortunately, there's there's a lot of people who have a deep mistrust in the in the government or any kind of governmental authority, and it, that's at many different levels. So I think at a state level, the governors are issuing orders to, you know, stay at home and you know wear masks. But then when the vaccine comes, I mean, obviously they're nobody's gonna. I, I don't think they can force everybody to, you know, take the vaccine. Or wear masks unless it becomes a law, like the example you gave with the seatbelt. I actually, honestly, had no idea it was. It was even controversial. I mean, it's just like a way of oh, life. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that's why. That's why we should be talking to, um, you know, uh, folks like you, and who've been around and have experience in these kind of things and can can see that um, the parallels here.
1: We also have to be prepared for human nature, right? So let's think pre-COVID. Let's think last year or two years ago or three years ago. Um, There are in there. There's already viruses are out there, right? There's H1N1, there's H2N3, there's uh, influenza B, there's all kinds of stuff that's out there. There are available vaccines for that and still a very large percentage of the population uh, don't don't get that. And for whatever reason, I'm not going to get into the reasons, but they don't get that. And the result of that is, again, I'm talking pre-COVID, there are tens of thousands of people in the United States every year that just die of one of those flus, those very old flus from the 60s and the 50s and and 1918. Um, And so people just in general, I'm not talking about Americans, I'm talking about people all around the world, just in general just don't like being told what to do. And they have to make their own choices, and that's the freedoms that we all have. But with, with those freedoms come sort of the ramification of your personal choice. If if you make a choice not to participate in some of these things that, you know, can really help you and your family, then there may be a ramification for that. There may not be. You may be that lucky family that never becomes ill and never has anyone in your family ever become seriously ill or die. But that doesn't mean that that isn't happening all around the world every single year, even pre-COVID. So it just makes you kind of think about self-defense, which is how do I take care of myself and my family and my loved ones and those around me and maybe even my neighbors and my coworkers? What are the things that I have to do To help protect them from bad things. Maybe those bad things are other people. Maybe those bad things are an economic thing. Maybe those bad things are a virus. There's lots of, you know, it could be war, invasion, who knows. But I think if you're interested in self-defense, you find opportunities to look at things that are potential dangers and try to come up with mitigations. And some of those are preparedness. Some of those are knowledge and education. Some of those are, you know, vaccines and healthcare. Some of those are physical self-defense techniques, whether those are with a weapon or unarmed, all of those things fit into the same bucket. I know you've heard me say multiple times uh, in the dojo that self-defense is more than somebody's going to punch me and i'm going to defend it's like i don't know are you physically strong enough to let yourself out of a second story window if your house catches on fire if not you better be doing some more chin-ups do you know how to swim can you swim 100 yards if you can't you probably shouldn't go boating you know it's it's these things that you just need to look at those potentials and say hmm, i need to make sure i'm a little bit trained and prepared in those things. And this is just another one of those things. And you'd mentioned
0: earlier, and I don't want to lose sight of this, um, you know, how resourceful your wife was in trying to locate items and necessities and things like that. And, and I think there's a, there's a, I actually read a book recently, um, it was on the whole um, prepper movement, the world, it, were to uh, collapse or, you know, the societal structure disintegrates, that people know how to go out and um essentially um rebuild a you know a a very basic society and and have some kind of order fortunately we didn't have to come to that in this pandemic however um it did bring to light um you know shortages and depending on which part of the country you 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 reside in i you know where where i am and we didn't really um weren't really wanting for much other than you know no more than uh, two uh cartons of ice cream i guess we could live without that <laughs> in other parts of the country and particularly in cities i had a friend who's in the bronx and she went out just get a, a a bottle of milk um for herself uh the one last one that was sitting in a in a corner in the corner grocery store and I wouldn't even call them like big grocery stores it's kind of like more like a, a corner a, deli like a bodega, thing. a
1: bodega or something bodega yes <laughs> yeah. and
0: and as she was uh, reaching for it she'd kind of uh, 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 described to me how the event transpired. Another woman came up right you know, around the same time, pushed her out of the way, went in and grabbed it, you know, made a face and grunted at her and um, and then moved on. So it's almost like survival of the fittest wins. I mean, she ended up not taking it well and kind of ran out the store um, scared and, and and crying. But that did happen um, as part of this pandemic. in sure. Certain- areas so how, how do we become resourceful I guess and not to the extent of you know perhaps becoming a prepper yourself and you know having a bunker and, and or, a, or a safe house somewhere else to, to to migrate to I think that was not necessary here uh, however like having enough toilet paper around or, or other things around when when you really need them and you can't get access to them
1: sure sure so I think there's a, a few different things Points I wanted to make, and it's from uh, my experience with with this uh, situation, but also my experience with hurricanes, and my experience um, when I was in the Northeast with long power outages in the winter because of ice storms and other things. So um, you do you do need to be prepared, and it's not as hard as you would think. It, it's not. It doesn't have to be like this single concerted effort where it's like I have to buy every you know, prepping toy that there is and every weapon and all the ammo and, you know, six years worth of food in my basement and all that kind of stuff. It's it's not, it's not necessary to go that path. Um, Every single time that you go shopping, you can look for non-perishables and buy two of them. And they probably don't cost that much. And you put them in a plastic container in the bottom of your pantry or in your basement. And slowly over time, you get these things that might be hard to get later, and I think this recent pandemic shows what some of those things are. Um, not all of them made sense, but that doesn't make a difference. If there's a shortage in something because everybody wants something, then the shortage does exist, and you have to deal with it. So, you know, this this kind of told us about certain certain things. So you have to be very aware. Um, And learn as you go. Uh, But, you know, everybody's always going to need the essentials, the, you know, the water, the proteins, the carbohydrates, light, um, you know, sanitary uh, items, um, you know. Uh, power, if uh, if possible, you know, warmth, shelter, like all, all those things. I mean, you can read a bazillion articles and find any list out there that'll kind of give you like, you know, here are the categories of things that you need to talk about. And you can certainly do it slowly over time. I mean, every year we have hurricane season that goes from June to the end of September, beginning of October. And we know that there could be, you know, power outages for a week or whatever. So we just we get things we get shelf stable milk in in uh, cardboard cartons and we get you know shelf stable water in in flats and keep them in the garage and um, you know extra cereals and oatmeals and just just stuff you know we have we have a barbecue that works whether there's electricity or not Um, you know we do have a generator and you know all kinds of flashlights and all that kind of stuff because i'm I'm, you know i like to i like to be prepared like that but it it was accumulated over a period of time it wasn't like rushing out and and trying to get it when everybody's trying to get it that's definitely the wrong way to do it so i think you know finding a simple like you know hurricane preparedness list which would pretty much apply to almost any other situation and then learning from what's happened uh now and and stocking up on on something but also do the math you know like how many people are in your household? How much do you really need? You know, I think it was like a badge of honor and feeling like you were Mad Max if you went out and got like 400 rolls of toilet paper. And I'm like, oh, OK. But, you know, if a family of four goes through 20 rolls a month and you calculate out, you know, three months, I mean, like, do the math. Right. So um, I don't think that that's that really that hard to prepare for Uh, in the situation you're talking about. You know, here were two people that were desperate for an item, number one, because they weren't prepared and didn't have them and ran out. Uh, And number two, in that situation, it will be survival of the boldest. I don't want to necessarily say the fittest, um, but definitely the boldest. And, you know, some people are easily dominated by people with a loud voice or a large body or an aggressive attitude. And people that are large, aggressive and loud know that. That's why they are that way. Um, And in those type of situations, especially if you're not, you know, well trained in in, uh, self-defense, it's best to just back off. Just back off and and let them have that. And I know that, you know, the desperate feeling, I mean, maybe that person was going for that last bottle of milk, because they have a baby, and they had no more formula, and they just needed something. And what a desperate feeling that must be, um, which leads back to being prepared. But, um, but you have to assess that on the ground situation as it happens. I mean, if she had said, No, I'm going for it. And I'm getting that bottle of milk and that other person beat the crap out of them. Maybe they couldn't even get back to their kid. You know, so you really have to assess that situation. You know, which leads to, of course, what we typically talk about on the Jiu Jitsu Master Podcast is being trained in in self-defense and understanding how to defend yourself against another person who wants to, you know, do harm to you or take resources from you or hurt your family or any of those other things. So Um, you know, it's something that you have to do. And not only that, it gives you a confidence and a certain look and a certain way you stand and walk where people that realize they are just a loud mouth and have nothing behind it may look at that person and be like, "Mm, yeah, I'm not messing with that today. So, (laughs) um, you know, it's, it's one of the weapons in your arsenal of self-defense is, you know, that unarmed, uh, self-defense technique, but, but it did happen. I saw people on the news grabbing for all kinds of items and, and, fighting for them and um and and mainly it's because there was panic because the the people were not prepared they weren't prepared for this and and then they just heard that their friends and neighbors were going for it and so they went for it and that leads to mayhem
0: and compound that with short uh, with um regional or or you know local shortages of certain items as well that didn't make things any better
1: Right, which which you have to really, really listen to if you're interested in taking care of, you know, your family in these situations, because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy to state on the news that there is a shortage of something instantly creates a shortage of something, yeah. right? So you got to listen, and even if you're not a person who panics about things or is a conspiracy theorist or is a prepper and you're just kind of one of these, well, let's, let's see how it plays out. You know, the the lesson in that is maybe watch some of the crazy people around you too, because their basic primal instincts are showing you what's actually happening out there. And you've got to be prepared to react to that and maybe even, be part of that if if you aren't as prepared as you as you thought so um don't don't be one of those people that thinks like uh, i'm not an idiot like them you know they'll they'll eventually get some of that back and then six months later it's still not back and you know you got to keep your eyes open too and watch what's happening around you
0: so far in this in this pandemic the the social order pretty much stayed intact uh and and generally people did with with some protest uh here and there but for the most part Everyone followed the governor's orders and the uh, protocols of the CDC. Um, Can we talk about a scenario where some of that breaks down a little bit? Now we're getting into the realm of movie territory of how uh, more glamorous contagions and pandemics and apocalypse uh, type scenarios play out. Um, And if we want to touch on uh, some of the rioting and protests that have been happening as of late. Unrelated to, to COVID, but with other social um, uh, issues that are, are are pervading in in our society right now, work ourselves into that, or or how do we um how do we manage that? So that's a great
1: question. I mean, I think one of the realities, as we saw with uh, with the pandemic, um, you know, even though there were tens of thousands at the beginning dying, and now hundreds of thousands. Um, Social order really didn't break down that much because I don't really think we lost the ability to live relatively normal lives. There were some shortages with some things, for sure. But I went to the store multiple times during this. And, yeah, you'd see a couple empty shelves here and there. But it wasn't – the whole store wasn't bare. Like, you, you still could eat. You know, you still could – get food heck we never really even lost delivery you know um our tvs didn't go off we didn't lose electricity you know uh, we have technology that allowed to basically keep our kids educated and you know we, we could talk to our parents who lived hundreds of miles away or our children who you know were in another country or whatever so like those aspects of society never really broke down so we didn't really have that kind of reaction like you would see in a movie where suddenly nothing's running. There's no transportation, there's no gasoline, there's, you know, no electricity, um you're out of touch with everybody except for the people that live near you and there's a fight for resources. Like that that did not happen. And I think in that situation, what we really saw were people were helping each other more than anything else. You know, I thought, and I, I know I talked with you about this, I thought of like if you if you didn't turn on the news on a daily basis, you know you may have heard things going on in your town or your neighborhood, and maybe somebody died or there were some sick people that worked in the hospital. But in general, you weren't hearing about the breakdown of of the world. Um, you know, TV likes to likes to sensationalize everything they possibly can, and, and you know, including local news. So we really didn't have to deal with that. But there could be situations where where you did Um, there always certainly could be a worse virus that came and and you know didn't make you sick for you know 10 to 14 days and then some people just got kind of a cold and you know other people didn't but you know you could have something that came along and just wiped out people in two days there's there's been viruses like that in the past and that would have certainly created a little a little more panic but without a breakdown in the infrastructure I don't think you ever have that level of panic, but we have seen that in the world. Um, you know, if you think of like Bosnia and Herzegovina, when you know suddenly here are two you know states essentially right near each other with the same you know genetic background that suddenly decides for political reasons or religious reasons they're going to fight each other and they start destroying each other's cities, and then there is no power and you know, people are starving and it breaks down, that breaks down pretty quick. So it it does have a precedent, you know, it it certainly, uh, it certainly could happen. Um, Again, I think it's all about being as prepared as you can, but also realizing you can never be prepared for everything at all. If there was a sudden invasion of this country or there was a civil war in this country it wouldn't matter how much you prepped for anything you're you're not going to be ready for that and you're going to have to deal with it as it as it happens Um, so the the preparation you need for that is your own personal mental and physical preparation for things like that without being paranoid because the likelihood is incredibly small but if if you're nervous about those things you know get the knowledge have the equipment, do what you need to, don't live paranoid, um, but know and feel secure that you' you're prepared. And being prepared changes over time, uh, which I found to be quite interesting and I'm, I'm sure there's a, a few people that will be listening to this that also had the same situation. So I'm thinking about you in your current state, you've got uh, three, three small kids. How old is your oldest one now? She's eight right so small children wife and family, um, you live in the suburbs, and you have a certain set of protections you'd want for you and your family and your children. And, you know, I'm, I'm older than you now. Our children are all grown up. None of them live with us anymore. It's just uh, my wife and I. So we have different Sets of priorities, uh, but we have older parents who live in other places that have difficulty taking care of themselves. So we have those kind of things to take into account. So everybody's situation is slightly different, although the underlying basics of being prepared don't don't change. So again, it, it is about doing that. You know, when it comes to a, a complete breakdown in society, think about the things we we're just talking about what, what a breakdown is, right? It's social order is part of that, but social order is a symptom of what actually broke down for you to have no internet, no cell phones, no power, nothing in the stores, no gasoline for your car. So you can't go anywhere or escape from where you are. um, And then people want what you have. That's a whole different thing. And that's about as close to the movies as you can get. And, and to think about what would you, what would you do in that situation? The thing to think about is what would you do in that situation? Not what do you think you're going to do in that situation, but what are you actually going to do? Because I can tell you, pretty much every guy, as you've known from being a jujitsu student, when they first walk into a jiu-jitsu school, everybody thinks they're pretty tough already. They can take care of themselves. They know what they're doing. Right. And then they spend about two classes in jujitsu and realize they were walking around in a dream and they have no idea what they're doing. And they're probably going to have their asses handed to them by any punk on the street that's ever been in a street fight before. So this is kind of the same thing. Um, Everybody thinks in that situation they're they're going to be, you know, they're going to be pretty tough. You know, they're going to be the next clan leader. You know, they've got the guns, they've got the ammo, they've got their three month supply of food and all of that. And I will tell you definitively, I have seen people in highly stressful situations on hiking trips that run into ice storms or, or other things where the reality of it is, is what you are right now is what you will be when that happens. So if you're a librarian who loves quiet and cataloging books and loud voices and aggressive people really shake you and you know make you fearful me giving you 3 months of supply of food and a gun isn't going to change you you're going to still be that same person when you know the shit hits the fan so people need to not fool themselves you know if you need to be something different in those kind of situations you better start training for it now and training for it real and hard and under stress and with people that know what they're talking about and have been in those situations and can tell you the reality of it. Because for you to imagine what it's like, it's not going to be like that. And for you to imagine what you're going to be like, you're not going to be like that. Um, And I think that's the, the, the part that people miss and fantasize about. So again, it still comes back to doing the hard stuff, doing the long, boring, hard stuff. Training, 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 year after year after year, if you want to train with weapons, if you want to train your body, if you want to train your mind, if you will want to learn survival skills, all that kind of stuff, you actually have to physically put in the reps. You got to go do it because when it happens, only what you've trained to do is what you do. You are not going to suddenly change from being you know, a car mechanic to you know the head of a motorcycle gang like they always show in in these survival movies it it just doesn't happen that way so mm. you know look at that reality that's a dose of reality right there um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> bit the bullet to go ahead and uh get a, um, a, a generator uh installed <laughs> hooked up to my house i still haven't done that so maybe that's the first step
1: you know, that, that's right, you that's have to thing. you have to you have to look at the cost, right? right. And the cost cost benefit. If if you live in a place where if you lose power for a couple days a few times a year, you know it may just be like, no, oh, I'm going to get a, you know, a gas powered to a propane powered generator, and I'll run a few appliances off of it, right? I'm not going to spend ten thousand dollars or whatever. Um, you have to assess your situation. You know, uh, you know. Again, I I don't want people to be over prepared, uh, spending money on useless crap and being paranoid, you know, look at look at the reality of a situation and and deal with it and and do the right thing. I mean, we, we just got the opportunity, which is why it's so great to talk about it with you to, to see what really happens when something is really bad. Right. We, we had a we have a global pandemic and it's going on right now and, and people are dying and you get to see what it's really like. And, you know, you get to ask questions about yourself and what am I ready for and what am I not ready for? And how did this impact me emotionally? How does it impact other people emotionally and and how do they act? And some of that was a surprise for people. Um, And then I, I think you need to look at some of the very, very simple things that we were all asked to do and how difficult it was for people to do. And those were simple things. You know, imagine if they were incredibly difficult things. Um, so it, it should make people think about, you know, what is difficult, what is easy, what's within their scope of being able to do and still live a really, you know, as normal life as possible. And, and, and what situations would really be really tough to, to deal with. And don't listen to the, you know, conspiracy theories and don't listen to, I hate to use the term, you know fake news because that means you know you're accepting our news is not valid but don't listen to the sensationalization of news find out what the real facts are what the real numbers are what is actually going on and then deal with deal with that don't don't imagine it to be something more or something less you know than what it is that's what gets you in a you know up shits creek in a fight you know, it's when somebody takes that first punch at you and your brain is still telling you like this is unbelievable. This can't be happening. You know, I'm I'm not. What? Why? Why is that guy acting that way? You know, and in those seconds of your brain trying to figure out what's going on, he's punching you two and three times. So, you know, that's all about accepting the reality of the moment and doing the things you have to do in that moment. In in terms of
0: training, Shihan, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit. With respect to some of the more recent current events that are happening, just in addition to the pandemic, we've, we've also been experiencing um, some protests and rioting. Um, right. I guess notion of, you know, the, bringing the military force in versus civilian and within our own country, that that kind of aspect um, has also emerged as, you know, something to talk about. The politics aside, I wanted to kind of understand because I, I know from your background and experience you've taught some of these forces haven't you in the the past whether military or civilian police or both
1: uh yep i did um military and i was a riot control uh instructor in washington dc actually and um so so that was interesting because part of our what they called our contingency mission at, at that time was to both provide um you know riot control uh and restraint in the case of uprisings and also to evacuate dignitaries from specific buildings in the case of, uh, things, you know, getting out of control. And there were specific techniques around, you know, how to do that. Um, and I, and I've watched, uh, what's happening in DC very closely because mm-hmm. the unit I was in was deployed. Um, they've been shown on the news several times and, you know, out there. Um, Doing you know what they've been uh, commanded to do, and it's a very very tough conversation to have because it's it's like two sides of the same coin. What I'm going to say isn't supporting one or the other. It's it's just the facts. In one case, peaceful protest rarely accomplishes anything. If you look at the history of peaceful protest. What was behind the peaceful protest, the people behind it, the people pulling strings, the people even doing violence that didn't become a part of the story is kind of what made those air quotes peaceful protests work. So they don't always work. They they do create small amounts of incremental change because they change thinking, but they don't get any kind of immediate or even short term response. In the long run, at the same time, if you think you're going to protest and go out there and not be peaceful and to get in altercations or to destroy property, you have the civilian police force, the National Guard and the active military who are sworn to protect the country against enemies, both foreign and domestic. So it's a very, very tough place to be. I can tell you from my own personal experience and then from the experiences of people that I knew that came after me. Not every soldier that's asked to go and, and do that crowd control, that riot control, or to block entrance to certain buildings or to do other things personally wants to do those things. They they don't all want to do them. Some of them have very strong feelings against what's happening. Uh, on either side. Um, However, they've sworn to do a duty to the country. And I will tell you, any soldier that's worth anything takes that more serious than their personal feeling. So it's a a really tough place to be. You almost can't judge the individuals by what they've been asked to do, because many of them are doing it um, against what they feel but their feeling of duty is stronger than their personal feelings. So again, a very tough place to be. I think what probably needs to happen is a constant reassessment of why the protests are happening because one thing that happens with protests, especially when they get very big is they start to take on a life of their own and they start to attach themselves to philosophies and political thinking the bigger they get and how they started and why they started six months down the road could be about something very very different than what what they started out as so i think we have to remember that there have been issues with police overstepping their bounds and doing unlawful acts that if they were a civilian, would have had them in legal trouble, and people are reacting to that. That is the initial cause. Now, because that disproportionately has happened, to people of color in the United States, it pretty quickly latched on to racial inequity. And that is a much, much, much bigger problem in this country. And so it will elicit much more emotional response. And you have to be careful that you don't lose the original thought in the, the ever-growing thought. Because both are important. Both are incredibly important. Both are injustices against people of any you know, race, color, religion, anything. And and they need to equally be equally be fixed. So I am definitely not a proponent of people going out and just wantonly destroying property. But I also understand why. Because you don't get attention. You know, people are just like, oh, you know, here's a bunch of jerks out here being loud about something and getting unruly and destroying property and blah, blah, blah. And then they just don't, they just don't, you know, take it seriously. But when major businesses or stuff like that start getting vandalized and those businesses who have a ton of power and money speak up, then things get done. So it's very, very messy. I can very easily see why people could fall into any set of thinking around these things that it should be peaceful, that it shouldn't be peaceful, that we should use the police and military that we shouldn't use the police or military. they all have you know valid points to it because human beings are, are very complex and the situations are very complex that they're that they're protesting against. But if we look at it from a pure self-defense standpoint, again back to protecting yourself and your family and your loved ones and your co-workers etc, you have to realize that those situations can become volatile very quickly. You could have 100,000 people and 99% of them are doing this completely peaceful and a handful of these people are not going to, and that can quickly escalate, whether it's in the reaction from the police or military or whether it's with the reaction from within the crowd where other people feel like this is what we need to do. And they jump on that bandwagon. Um, so you have to, if you're going to participate in those kind of things, you have to be extremely aware of what is happening around you and how quick it can change and have escape routes and, you know, understand that some people may be seeing that you're breaking the law and that could have ramifications, but also that you have strong feelings and that without, challenging the law you're not going to get any kind of response and you have to understand the complexity of the situation that uh, that's happening you know for one i can say that any kind of protest about human rights being taken away in some way or prejudice in some way are always valid to speak out against we need to become a world that's far more tolerant than we've all been recently. Uh, We need to become far less polarized than we've been recently Uh, and understand that 99% of the people out there all want the same thing, right? They all want to have a happy, productive, successful life, taking care of their children and being happy and safe and healthy. And that's kind of what everybody wants. So anytime something occurs that's against that, you know, we should say stand up and say something in, in whatever way you can. Not not everybody's made to go out there and protest in the streets or to stand in front of the military or cops. That's that's not for everybody. There there are other ways to do that for for other people, um, but everybody still should be brave enough to stand up and say no, won't accept that inappropriate. This is not how we treat each other, and expect to have our elected officials who we put in place take us seriously and and listen to it and at the very least even if they don't have the answers to put together a group of good minds that can find some answers that may work for almost everyone you know not everyone's going to be satisfied but but to make change and to say yeah we think these things are wrong and we think we can do something about it and what do you feel and do you think that's a good start you know that that gets a different reaction from the populace, right? Then they feel they're being listened to, taken seriously. They're part of it. They're part of the solution and and things move forward. When you deny those things um, or you, you you know, make them not seem valid, that's when things turn bad. I mean, it happened in many countries throughout time where the people finally stood up and said, "Mm -mm, you're not listening, you're out you have to listen to history because that will happen if you don't listen and if you don't act. So just my thoughts on it. Um, I don't think the self-defense aspect of that changes heightened awareness, understanding the volatility of the situation, having an escape route, uh, not breaking the law, understanding that people may see your actions as unlawful, um, knowing that you're taking risks to yourself and your family are all parts of uh, the self-defense aspect of that.
0: Yeah. Sheehan, um, I just wanted to say, you know, on behalf of everybody at times of extraordinary circumstances or duress, like we've recently lived through, I think the most important fundamental need of many people is to find a leader and look up to somebody who's sound in mind and in judgment. And, you know, on behalf of everybody at Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu and to all of our listeners The Jiu Jitsu Master Podcast, thank you for being that person for us.
1: Oh, well, I really appreciate that. I mean, I'm just like all of you. I don't have all the answers. I struggle like everyone else does. But I try to keep a clear head. I try to see the reality of the situation and I ask other people to see the realities too. And I think I think that all helps us. And I think just like you expressed in a very heartfelt way we we need that in our country and in every country of the world. We have leaders at the local level within your town, your selectmen or your mayor. You know, we have governors of our state, we have senators, you know, all the way up the chain. And, and we depend on them. We depend on them to be good leaders because you and I in our everyday life, we We can't do all of those things, right? We're trying to have a job and and do our family. And, and, you know, they've made some sacrifices to get in their roles. But with that comes an expectation of some of the same, same things that you just mentioned. We need to have the people that we put in office care about the people that put them in office. And listen, we're not asking them to have the answer or to have the ideas. We're asking them to gain consensus of the ideas of the people they serve, and helping us find a clear path through all of those different thoughts, so that we can come to an agreement about what the best thing might be at that time for the people of whatever size group. Um, and we need to demand that of our leadership. And if they can't do that for whatever reason, no judgment, but they're they're just simply not able to do that. We need to find people who can. Do that. We cannot be complacent because complacency is what allows bad leaders, or not even bad leaders, leaders that just don't fulfill our needs to remain in those spots where potentially they could do more harm uh, than good. We all know what it is to be a good, decent, thinking person. Everybody from a professor at a college down to a factory worker, we all know what that is. We all know how we want to be treated, how we would treat our friends and family. And we need the same thing from leadership at all levels. So I think we need to take that extremely serious, look for that leadership, demand that leadership. um, And I think we'll get what we demand. I really do. I think People have the best intentions. It doesn't matter what political party you're part of. People do have the best intentions. You just have to be brave enough to put the right leaders in place or to remove people that aren't doing the job so that someone else can for the betterment of our society and the world. So I'm glad I can do my little teeny weeny weeny part, my little slice you know, in, in our very small martial art world. I mean, it, it means everything to me that other people feel that I'm doing the the best that I can, but it's so, so much bigger than that. This has to pervade upward to, to the very top in all countries around the world so that we can just become a better world. And I hope we're doing our little part to do that. So Sri, I always appreciate the amount of... Thought and time you put into kind of coming up with the subjects and sort of parsing them into categories and, and leading these conversations and giving me the opportunity to just pass on what was passed on to me. I didn't I didn't fetch any of these ideas. I just I like to clearly state them so other people can gain what I gained from them over over time. So so again, thank you, Sri.
0: Thank you, Shihan, and I think we're doing a little bit more than a, a tiny a teeny weeny bit here because this podcast is on uh, Stitcher Radio, Apple iTunes, and Google Play and
1: can be reached all around the world. That is fantastic, Sri. I really look forward to the next time we talk on uh, Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. I'm sure we'll come up with some other great subjects to to chat about. There will be no shortage of that, Sri Thanks again. You bet.